0: Okay, we successfully got through the portion of Hebrews that the author of Hebrews had written for Christmas time. At least we adapted that part of Hebrews to fit with Christmas. And wouldn't you know it, the flexibility of the Holy Spirit to take centuries old scriptures and adapt them to a brand new year actually to 2018 this scripture was written almost 2000 years ago and it is fit perfect for today's message can you believe that let's see what God has for us for a package for this first Sunday of the year we're still looking to Jesus for our direction for our run through life. He's the one that we are fixing our eyes on and seeing him and the way he has run and the way that he wants us to follow him in his way. This is, I think, Numbers 15. It's titled, The Tabernacle and Christ. Hebrews 9, 1, 14 And we'll have the scriptures up, but if you have your Bibles also, that would be advisable to uh, follow through as we read. Now, even the first covenant had regulations of divine worship and earthly sanctuary. For there was a tabernacle prepared, the outer one, in which were the lampstand and the table, the sacred bread, and this is called the holy place. Behind this second veil, there was a tabernacle which is called the Holy of Holies, having a golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden jar holding the manna, and Aaron's rod which budded, and the tables of the covenant, and above it were the cherubim of glory, overshadowing the mercy seat. But of these things we cannot now speak in detail. Now, when these things have been so prepared, the priests are continually entering the outer tabernacle, performing the divine worship. But into the second, only the high priest enters once a year, not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the sins of the people committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit is signifying this that the way into the holy place has not been disclosed while the outer tabernacle is still standing, which is a symbol of the present time. Accordingly, both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make the worshiper perfect in conscience, since they relate only to food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until a time of reformation. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood, he entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling those who have been defiled, sanctified for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? This may sound like a very complicated and uh, hard to understand, difficult to understand passage. And for many of us, the book of Hebrews, like I've admitted myself, this is the first time that I have preached through this book because I haven't had the nerve to do it. Because of the fact that so much of that's in there has so much weightiness or so much deep meaning that to tackle this is beyond me anyway. But by encouragement and looking at it, I've come to love this book. It's been Katie's book for years, her favorite book. And I've thought, well, that's good for Katie, but I'll stick with John or Genesis, some of those easier ones. And maybe she can teach that sometime. And here I am halfway through or more than halfway through this book. And I'm beginning to love it. Why? because of the detail and the deep meaning that it has for understanding who our savior, Jesus Christ, really is. And the author of this book is not just throwing out a bunch of facts. He's putting them together in a collage of pictures that are intertwined and intermingled, but yet they're standalone. And each one of them It's like you've just hit another vein of gold and you're digging there. Oh, wow, this is great. Wait till Katie sees this. And I run into the kitchen and I tell her, she says, oh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's wonderful. Like she knew it already. You know how discouraging that is? But it has been a blessing to both of us to be able to talk together. You know, we're going to teach a course in a few weeks on men and women. I was going to say husbands and wives. We'll get into that a little bit. But on the difference between men and women. And uh, that is a very complicated subject to try to teach. I'm talking about men and women, the difference between men and women. But Hebrews... Man, we can sit for hours talking about this. The ins and outs, and what does this mean? And I think it's the first time in our marriage that we've really kind of hit that kind of, would you call it a sweet spot, where we're on the same page, we're, we're going the same direction, we're understanding the same things, and we're excited about it. So I'm just recommending for you husbands and wives that are having problems together, Dive into the book of Hebrews. (laughs) It'll bring you together. (laughs) Or it will (laughs) separate you. I don't know. But anyway, it's worked for us. And we're loving it. Thank you for bearing with me in going through this study. And today is, I think it's just great. It's focusing, as we've already read, on the tabernacle and Christ. On Jesus and who he is. It does it uh, through a couple of points here. Divine worship and the earthly sanctuary, verses 1 and 5. And divine worship and the priesthood, or the priests, in verses 6 to 10. And then Christ appeared as a high priest, in verses 11 through 12. And then my concluding remarks on uh, verses 13 and 14. Father, we just ask you to, to bless this passage. Open our eyes, open our hearts, open our minds, and allow us to see the wonderful things you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. We have here before us the tabernacle. And if you remember about a year, year and a half ago, when we were going through the study of the tabernacle, We learned a lot then, didn't we? And tabernacle was uh, very deep with meaning, but it's a very simple, simple structure, which we won't go into all the meanings, but it's very prescribed. This tabernacle sat in the very center of the congregation of the Israelites with all their tents surrounded. I should have put another picture up there for it. If it was Ace Conda, he would have had several slides up there (laughs) showing this but imagine all the tribes with their tents and all in order exact order each tribe in a certain spot on a certain side probably some like something like 6 million people gathered around this structure the wall on it was only about as tall as this room so the center of the worship of the people was right there, and they were living with it. It was like them all. Now that's a bad illustration, I know. But it's right in the center of where all the people would come and gather and had their life surrounding this place. It was activity, day and sometimes through the night, happening at this place. And their attention was focused on it daily for hundreds of years. Actually, it was about 600 years that they had this structure in their midst. Can you imagine what that formed in their thinking and their, their lifestyle? If a man sinned, he was to take an animal, let's say a lamb, and he was to lead that animal up to this gateway, this entrance here. The priest would meet him at the door, And he would say, This is for my sin, which I have committed, and my household. Hand the lamb over to the priest. The priest and several other priests would take the animal and slay it. And then they'd take it up on the brazen altar there and burn it there as a sacrifice. The priest would then move over to the center part there. That is the laver, which was a a large brass structure with water in it. And that's where the priest would wash his hands before he went in to what is called the holy place, which is this place right here. He'd walk through these curtains, pulling these curtains apart. They were always closed it wasn't like a door but he would walk through into there. Into that inner part was called the holy place or the outer tabernacle. Inside it were three objects. There was the lampstand, which is this one here, if you can see that detail there, which was made up of seven branches. The center one was the tallest and then there was six that were along the side. And they all came out of one piece of gold. And at the top of that was a, a lamp or a small bowl. And the priest would put oil into that lamp. And there was a wick that would lay in the side of that. And that they would light that. And the wick, you know what a wick is? It's like a piece of thread that draws by osmosis, draws the oil up into the uh, thread and is burned with with the flame. And that provides the light. Because inside this structure, there was no other light. It was dark. It was covered by heavy skins. And so it was pitch black in there unless they had some light, like with the lampstand. Across from that was, you can't hardly see it here, but you can imagine it there, is a table, and it has bread on it. Twelve loaves of bread that were changed once a week on the Sabbath. That was called the show bread. It was for the priests. But it was there, set there, unleavened bread to be on display that God is our provider. We'll get into more of these meanings in a few minutes. Then the next instrument, the outer tabernacle, was an altar similar to what the brazen altar was, but this one was much smaller. It held fire, but it was for incense. And it was placed right before another curtain was across the back of this room called the outer tabernacle. Behind that other curtain then is another instrument that we talked about and that was called the Ark of the Covenant and on top of that was the mercy seat and the cherubim. There were two cherubim. They were facing each other. That was all made of gold as well acacia wood as a structure and then with gold overlaid. In that was Aaron's rod, the Ten Commandments, the two tablets, and the um, manna, the golden jar of, of manna. And in that inner court, the priest only went in there once a year. In the outer court, the bigger one with the three pieces of furniture in it, Priests went in there, in and out, morning and night, and caring for the inside. But on the inside, it was only exclusively for the high priest, and he would go in there. And that is where the blood was sprinkled on the mercy seat, the lid of the Ark of the Covenant. That was done once a year. I'll give you a a little bit more detailed look at that. We're going to go through this then and try to understand from Hebrews what it is that he wants to bring out in terms of understanding of this worship. Very curious, very unique in its detail and the meaning that it has as we develop this message here this morning. So let's look, first of all, at the divine worship and the earthly sanctuary. We've already described the outer tabernacle, the holy place, that first room that the priests were able to come in and out of that to do what they had to do of lighting the candles, trimming the, the wicks, of putting out the showbread, taking the old showbread away, of morning and evening doing a burning of the incense morning and night that was to be continual along with The candlestick was to be never put out, but to be trimmed and filled with oil so that there was constant light there. The outer tabernacle, the holy place, was where the daily ministry of the priests happened, representing the daily ministry of the relationship between a holy God and his chosen people. The lampstand represents not only God, the center light, but also man with its one main lamp and six lamps, six being the number for man. When was man created? On the sixth day. So we assign that number to mankind, the number six. The number seven is for perfection, and it's assigned as the number of God. When you hear seven, you think It has something to do with God. The lampstand was not made of candles. Now, there's a lot of people that say, well, the candles were changed. No, it was not candles. In fact, candles hadn't even been invented back in those days. It was oil with wicks. How many of you know what a uh, a camping lantern is? A Coleman, yes, there you go. A Coleman lantern. And they have wicks and you've got to trim them as well to keep the light being bright. Okay? So you're understanding somewhat of what the lampstand was. The lampstand, like I said, basically provided the light for the whole inside of that outer tabernacle or room, the holy place. Otherwise it was pitch black in there. Jesus For us is the light of the world. He said he was the light of the world. That's what he was referring to. That's the analogy he was referring to. Without the sun, without light, we would be stumbling around here just trying to feel our way in this place here. And our lives are dark without the light. And the first thing that God said, his first command, let there be light. In order to live, we have to have light. If we don't have light, we're just groping around in darkness. And we couldn't live. The lampstand's very important. Jesus also said of us who believe in him, who follow him and follow his ways, you are the light of the world. What? What? I am the light, you are the light. Yes, if you believe in me, you are the light of the world. And that doesn't mean that light is exuding from us, but it is coming from the light of Jesus within us as we trust in him. Because he is light, we also are light. Did you ever think of that about yourself? You know, many of you I've come to know in these last three years, there is a light about you that I know just doesn't come from your great personality, but it comes from the fact that you know Jesus. Have you ever had an experience of being somewhere and you run into this person? I bet you they're a Christian. Have you had that experience? And you get talking with them. Yup, buddy. They are Christian. That's amazing. And immediately, there is a connection. How many have had that experience? It's great. The table of sacred bread is there to represent that he is the bread of life that Jesus Christ is the bread of life. Everything that we receive comes from the Father and is a gift to us. And sometimes we've, we've talked about the fact that we say in the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. Are we begging him? No, he says, no, you don't have to beg me. I'll provide for you. So we're not begging him. We're stating a fact. You give us our daily bread. And you know what? He calls us one loaf. We are bread. Because he's the bread of life. We also are by association with Jesus Christ. We are bread. For who? Who are we for? For ourselves? I don't think so. I think we're for the world. The world is starving for solid fellowship and acceptance. We're that bread for them to eat, for them to have energy to go on. That's why we need to go out and witness to our friends, our relatives, those that we're working with that they might also enjoy this being together, being one loaf, enjoying what Jesus has done for us, the sacred table. And then, here's the problem now. I should have written this out. If some of you got your Bibles, look at the verses in chapter 9, 3 and 4, behind the second veil. It said, behind the veil... We're about ready to go into the inner veil. And the author of Hebrews is bringing us into the inner tabernacle, the Holy of Holies. But it said that the altar of incense was behind that veil. And it sounds like a lot of scholars are troubled over this verse. This is a big, big problem for the book of Hebrews The implication in reading this, you're thinking that the golden altar is in the Holy of Holies. But on that description that we had here, where is the altar of incense? Is it on the inside? No, it's right here. So some people say, well, see, the Bible, you can't really believe it because the details aren't accurate. Well, I'll tell you what it proves It proves that we don't really understand or some of the translators have made some mistakes or got the wrong words. It says behind. But if you look at, and I asked, how many remember Dai Masaki who was here with us last year? We had him over the other day. And I said, Dai, can we sit down for a few minutes? I I need to talk to you about this problem that I've got. Could you help me understand this? So we looked at the Greek, we looked at the Hebrew, we looked at the English, we looked at other translations, the word behind. It doesn't mean that the altar of incense was over here. In fact, some scholars say, well, it was moved each year. No, it wasn't. There's nothing in scripture that says it was moved. In fact, it was a heavy piece of gold and was, was not movable, particularly by one man because the priest only went by himself. The high priest went in there once a year. Well, he didn't carry that big thing inside. Nor did they. Nor were they allowed to. What does that word behind mean? It means associated with, attached to or connected with the altar of incense. Okay, get the spiritual truth here. The altar of incense was in the holy place. Everything that happened in the holy place was for us as people. The light, we can't live without light. The bread, we need bread. It's for us. It's for an understanding that He provides everything for us. Well, what is this incense about? What is it for? The verse that I started with in this service that our prayers are like the evening sacrifice, like incense of the evening sacrifice our prayers. That's what David called it. So that that incense as it's coming up off the altar of incense morning and night through the night through the day that incense is permeating permeating into the Holy of Holies. If we were to this is another crude illustration but I'm not going to ask if any of you smoke, but if we had a smoker here and he decided he was just going to smoke a cigarette just outside the door, right here, this door here, what would happen? Yeah, or even through underneath and around the cracks, you'd start smelling, hey, who's smoking in our church? Right? Well, that's the way incense is. It can permeate anywhere. So the whole tabernacle, both the outer court and the inner court, had this fragrance about it. The whole tent, in fact, was permeated. And so the altar of incense wasn't behind in the Holy of Holies, but its effect went through and permeated the Ark of the Covenant. What does that mean for us? What does that mean for us today? It means that when we have a prayer request, when we have a praise, when we have an understanding of Scripture and the depth and what it means, and we want to just worship the Lord because of how good and how merciful He is to us, We say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the insight you just gave me. Thank you for hearing my prayer. And I lift this praise to you. It's like it's coming off the altar of incense. It's our prayers. And it has to do with the altar of incense, but it has to do with the Holy of Holies, where God resides. And he's the one then who's smiles and is accepting of us. Did you ever think of your prayers like that? Did you ever understand that your simple, simplest cry to the Lord is as incense to him? Incredible, isn't it? You might say, well, I don't really know how to pray. Well, The more you pray, the better you get at it. It's like being one year old and you're just saying a few words and then by the time you're three, wow, you can say whole sentences and maybe even argue with your mom as to why she should give you another cookie. But we develop as human beings, as Christians. That's what God desires for us. That our prayers would be As incense to him. Flowing out to him. I love this. And I'm not going to go much further than this. But uh, let's just try. On the inner tabernacle. It's the Holy of Holies. The Ark of the Covenant. With the jar of manna. Aaron's rod which budded. Tablets of the covenant and the mercy seat. The priest daily entered the outer tabernacle, and only the high priest entered. He did it once a year, not without blood. He offered for himself first. That's the other thing that we have to remember. When we come to the Lord, remember that we also need cleansing. And in our prayers, Don't be afraid to search your own heart first before you give your request. And just say, Lord, I want to be right with you. Is there something that I need to be aware of? With this Holy Spirit, he will remind you, oh yeah, that sharp word that you spoke was not good. You might want to make that right. You might want to talk to your wife or to your son or your fellow worker. The high priest even had to offer himself and for the sins of the people. Here's the next thing I want to share in just the next few minutes, and then we'll close. But I think it's very important in this passage. Verses 8 through 10, the author is saying, the Holy Spirit is signifying that there is a time that will come in the Reformation What is the Reformation? What is he talking about in these verses? There are also some different ideas on what these verses, 8 through 10, are talking about. But here's what I think it was. And there are some authors that agree with me. No, there are some authors that I think were right in this. That as the, you know, we've said that the author of the book of Hebrews, we don't know who he was, but he wrote just prior to or right when the temple was about to be destroyed by the Romans. And so there was a sense that the writer was saying, look, Jesus has gone to heaven. He's left us with the church. We understand all of this that we've learned all of our lives about the temple. And the temple is about to be destroyed. He's saying the Holy Spirit is signifying, seems to be implying that this is about to happen and the temple is no more. And did you know that the temple is no longer the place of sacrifice? Did you find the temple in Jerusalem? It wasn't there. It hasn't been there for almost 2,000 years. What? So all of this that's recorded in the Bible, is just nothing. No, what is left is what we have in the New Testament. And so the time of reformation is this is the time of the Gentiles. This is the time of reform. The old has passed and the new is here. We now have the Bible. We now have the Holy Spirit who's been given to us and is living in us We don't need the tabernacle. But the tabernacle still points to the fact of God's truth and who his son was. It's still valid in terms of checking up where are we as Christians? Are we losing our way? Are we going into some very liberal theology? Well, we don't need the cross anymore. The cross isn't hardly mentioned in many churches these days. The need for repentance and for cleansing for our lives. Well, just learn these three steps and you'll be okay. We need the scriptures. We need the whole scriptures. We talked about that last week. We need the whole counsel of God, the Old Testament and the New Testament together. In order to be able to walk as Christians and understand what all the whole counsel of God is. And that is what is important for us, that we walk in this truth of who Jesus is. Jesus Christ appeared as high priest. He entered the greater, more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands. Where is it? In heaven. Not of this creation, not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood. He entered the holy place once for all. One sacrifice. It's finished. It's done. No more slaughtering of animals. No more shedding of blood. It's been done with Jesus Christ giving his life for us on the cross. And he obtained eternal redemption for all mankind. For the blood of goats and bulls, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God.